Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Yes. Welcome everybody Carlson. to the episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's going to really try to relish this last year that I can say I'm better at hockey than Alex Ovechkin's son. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, though actually I'm not going to be your host for long because once again we have got the great Ben Burnett who's going to be taking over on the microphone very soon to present another installment of our 32 Beats Beat Writers series as he interviewed Samantha Pell all about the Washington Capitals. I'll be honest, I haven't listened to this interview yet. I'm recording the intro and I'm going to just put this show out into our feed and listen to it just like the rest of you. But I've heard from Ben that it was a great interview and I'm really excited to check it out. And before I cut to that interview, where we'll all listen to Ben and Samantha talk about the Cavs, let me of course mention that Keeping Carlson is presented by DauberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website in the whole world. Fantasy season is approaching, so you need to be on Dauber Hockey and get ready because before you know it, that Dauber guide is going to come out, which you will want to read backwards and forwards to soak in all of the great analysis and projections. Dauber Hockey also, of course, has all the best fantasy tools at Frozen Tools. It's just a great site all around. Once again, DauberHockey.com. One other thing I'll mention before I cut over to the interview, if you haven't listened to our latest episode yet, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League registration is now open, and anyone listening to this show is eligible and invited to come join our amazing league. You start, if you've never played before, you start at the bottom tier, and then you climb your way all the way up over the years until you get to compete with the very best of the best and claim to be the very best fantasy hockey player in the whole world. That title is currently held by Dustin Au. I'm going to try to beat him this year at that. And you can start your journey or continue your journey towards Cupful glory by signing up for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. So you can check out cupful.com to get all the information you need on how to register and what this league is all about. But okay, with that, I'm going to, like I said, hand the microphone over to Ben Burnett for his interview with Samantha Pell about the Washington Capitals. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, hosted once again by myself, guest host Ben Burnett. Joining me today, Samantha Pell, beat writer for the Washington Capitals at the Washington Post. Samantha, thanks so much for taking time out of the offseason to chat with me. Yeah, absolutely. Really happy to do this. And I guess it's I, I don't want to answer for you, but it seems to me like it maybe has been a bit of a boring offseason for you comparatively. I, I noticed in researching that the Caps have had a bit of a quiet offseason. Yeah, no, definitely. It feels like the Capitals just been talking about them now. They're really just the same team as they were last year, minus a couple additions. You know, probably Alex Ovechkin signing that major five-year extension is probably the top of the Capitals list. And, you know, a lot of people thought maybe they would go out and get a veteran goaltender uh, to kind of help Sam Snob. And, you know, they went back and got Vitek Vanacek back from the Seattle Kraken after that whole debacle um, in the expansion draft. So, yeah, really quiet offseason for Washington. Honestly, they don't have a lot of salary cap space to work with um, unless there is a major trade, which, you know, very well could happen between now and the start of the season. And I'm definitely going to, I think that there might be a player that is most obvious if we're talking about that. We'll get to him in a bit. Um, But I I do want to ask you, I guess, as a reporter for a team who very recently won a Stanley Cup uh, and then most recently had a disappointing end to 2021, what do you think, how do you think this team will respond to running it back? Well, it's so interesting because I feel like ever since the Capitals did win the Cup in 2018, the I guess the theme has always been the window is closing. I think after that first year when they lost in game seven in the first round to Carolina, people thought, okay, well, maybe you could blame, you know, the lack of energy, the rest, you know, them going on a really big summer vacations and, you know, celebrating and, you know, time just kind of ran out there. And then you see it happen again and again in the first round and people start to question, you know, is it time for the Capitals to rebuild and, the organization does not want to use that word. They made that very clear with, you know, signing Ovechkin to five more years back from being re-signed last year. You look at their contracts, they're up for another, you know, four to five years here. So 
I think for the Capitals, it, it once again is, okay, another shot, another time, and let's see. But right now is not their time. They feel like that they need to rebuild. And so, I mean, we, we've already talked about them, so uh, might as well just jump right to Ovi and Backstrom. Mm-hmm. Probably the two, at this point, got to be at least the most iconic Washington Capitals. Um, Backstrom, though, 33 now, coming off another 70-plus point season. Ovi put up 44 goals, or a 44-goal pace, sorry, and that's basically an off year for him. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think there's any reason to think that next year will be the the one where they start to slow down? I mean, I feel like we even started to hint at that last season and people were like, oh, maybe this is the year Alex slows down and back mm-hmm. slows down. And then, you know, Nick had a really, really great season. A lot of people called him kind of the MVP of the capital season, just the way that he started off. And, you know, he had a lot of, you know, minor injuries towards the end of the year and did not perform well in the postseason at all. Um, but Backstrom a lot of people feel like really did well for the caps early on. So I feel like, yeah, you know, of course they are going up in age. Alex is going to turn 36 um, in September. So they're all getting up there. That whole veteran core, you can add, you know, John Carlson to that mix, TJ Oshie, even Lars Eller, you know, right now is 32. So a lot of them are getting older. Maybe they do start to decline a little bit, but then again, that's really what I thought last year with Ovechkin and he was on pace for another, you know, 40 plus goal season. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think that that's kind of once you're once you hit your 30s as an elite talent or or mid 30s, everyone's going to ask that pretty much every year. We, we've seen it with Tom <laughs> yes. Brady for like 10 years now. right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so as they do start to slow down, I think that this is a team where there's not an immediate, uh, you know, there's not an immediate class of of prospects that are coming and and we don't know what the future necessarily looks like i guess if ovi and backstrom did start to slow down who do you think takes their who do you, do you think that there's an obvious player on the team or an obvious forward who who drives the bus if they can't do it i mean that's a great question the first thing that comes to mind is another veteran guy and that's tj oshi and that doesn't really solve the problem, right? Of if right. they're slowing down, like TJ can't really be there to be the next face of the organization. Um, so for me, for me, it's Tom Wilson. And I know a lot of people have a lot of controversial takes about Tom and, um, you know, his play and physicality and all that. But I think within the organization, they feel like, you know, he is here. He could be their next captain. And that's been talked about multiple times, just the way he leads his presence in the locker room. He's only 27 years old and, you know, he plays on the top line with Ovechkin and, you know, either Kuznetsov or Backstrom or one of those guys. So it feels like he is still the face kind of of that new wave of capitals that would, you know, come up when Alex and Nick decide to kind of hang up their skates. But you'd also throw in Anthony Mantha there and as well, kind of the capital splashy guy that they got. Um, he basically replaced the Jacob Verona was the same conversation. Verona was another one of those young guys who with Tom could probably lead them once those other two are kind of gone. So those are the first ones that come to mind. And looking at the the Capitals cap friendly page and the forwards, especially, I'm pretty shocked to realize that Mantha is the youngest guy other than <laughs> Daniel Sprong on the upfront at 26 years old. That's, that's shocking to me. It, it's pretty crazy thinking that, you know, the Capitals, their whole thing at the end of the season was, okay, we realized that a lot of our veteran guys were, you know, to lack of a better words, old and slow, and they got hurt and they had a lot of back issues. Um, so they realized that they needed to add more youth into their lineup, but also they liked the guys that they have. You know, they like Ovechkin and Backstrom and Oshie and, you know, Kuznetsov for right now, <laughs> Lars Eller, you know, even the fourth line of a, Hathaway, Haglin, uh, Nick Dowd, all those guys are older and more veteran, but they work in that system. They work under Peter Laviolette's system and how he likes to play. And, you know, I think Daniel Sprong's probably going to be a really interesting name to watch um, this upcoming season just because of where he fit in last year and uh, where he may or may not fit in this year. And so uh, Tom Wilson's an interesting name, I think, for obviously a lot of reasons. But um, <laughs> the the one that kind of strikes me, here is that last year he had his highest point pace of his career. He he paced for 58 mm-hmm. points over a full season. It's now been three years where he's been over 50 point paces. Um, do you think then that there's another gear to Tom Wilson? Do you think that he can hit a 60 or 70 point pace at some point? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Tom has the talent. I think playing, you know, on the top line with guys like Alex, anyone who plays with Ovechkin or Baxter or Kuznetsov are going to get their looks and, you know, obviously going to have their moments. But I think with him, the biggest thing as the story has been is, you know, kind of staying out of trouble and staying away from those suspensions and, you know, kind of towing the line. And he knows that he helps the team the most when he's on the ice and he can't afford to kind of make those split second decisions that are going to affect him and the team. And so I do feel like, he was playing some of his best hockey last year and obviously, you know, had the incident with Carlo and um, then later, you know, with the Rangers and all of that combined, I think just really slowed him down. I think people saw sort of at the end of the year, maybe he was more timid than usual. It seemed like he wasn't really um, involved in the offense or, you know, as much. It just seemed like he was just trying to be there and play, you know, just, you know, like kind of in the middle, he wasn't trying to do too much. Um, for the sake of multiple things. So I think he does have that extra gear in him. It's just, can he kind of keep it up and can he be consistently on the ice? And so I'm a, I'm a viewer, I'm sitting at home. And to me, the obvious answer to that is no, he, he seems like, <laughs> it seems like every time he gets suspended, he, he comes out and he's like, I, I realize that now the team needs me and I got to stop mm-hmm. uh, getting into trouble, but you're in the, you're in the scrum, you're talking to him directly. I guess, do you think he, do you think he ever does switch up his game and, and settle down? Or at this point, is it kind of obvious that he's he's the player that he's always been? I think with Tom, it, it, there's a lot of different narratives that go around with him. I think he is a very smart player most of the time. I think it's in the heat of the moment situations when maybe he thinks that this is the right thing to do and he does it. And then automatically it's very clear that it's not. Um, and everyone can kind of see it, but in the moment in his mind, uh, he thinks this is the right thing to do. And he kind of has to start all over again. And, you know, you're completely right. Every time he does get suspended, it is kind of the same conversation that we have every single time, right? It's, did he really need to do that? Okay. He's going to come out and say that he's sorry for it. You know, he's learning from this and the hits and where he's, what he's supposed to do, what he's not supposed to do. And, you know, with the Panarin thing and the Rangers, I feel like that was probably the most uncharacteristic of what we've seen from him. It was more after the whistle, everything up to that point, honestly, has been, you know, hockey plays, you could say, Um, you know, big hits and just very bad timed or poor decisions. And that was just a after the whistle and poor decision. So I feel like for him, yes, he can settle down, but it's one of those, I feel like when you're in the moment, heat of the moment things that maybe that's just an instinct that maybe won't go away. Yeah. I, and I think that that's uh that's going to be really interesting to follow. And I think that for what, for all the reasons you're saying, I guess he does have the potential to become uh, something special and become that guy who could lead the capitals, but it'll be very interesting to see, I guess, how that, how that turns out moving forward. Um, I do want to talk about Anthony Mantha, who you mentioned, I guess the most recent big splash made by the Capitals. Um, and I, when I think about Mantha on the Capitals, I, my mind immediately jumps to him coming in and shooting the lights out in those first mm-hmm. five games scored. I think he scored a goal in five straight. And then mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised to look into his game log and see how drastically he had fallen off. He just had five points in his last 15 games, including the playoffs, where do you see him fitting into the lineup this year? And do you have, have you heard anything about sort of how he's preparing to settle into Washington next year? Yeah, I think just where, you know, he kind of fits into Washington next year is going to be super interesting. I mean, he's definitely obviously a top six guy and, you know, they did try him on both the left and the right last year. I think he mainly played um, on the right, actually, just with the way the Capitals have their lineup. So everything worked out there, but it was really interesting to see him fit in so well in Washington in the very beginning and scoring a goal in every game. And then all of a sudden it almost felt like you didn't see him on the ice. Um, A lot of those games, he kind of just kind of disappeared in the background, which I think a lot of people will kind of hear that phrase and think of Kuznetsov as well. Like he's one of those players where you would notice him instantly when he's doing something well and kind of flashy and quick and uses his kind of skating abilities on the ice. And for Mantha, especially, I mean, he's, six five like 230 um you would assume that you would see him on the ice but it just seemed like sometimes he would kind of fade away and not really have the physicality so I think overall for him he's I mean they're depending on him to basically be you know an offensive threat um you know probably go alongside a TJ Oshie and a Nicholas Backstrom and 
probably there on the second line. And um, I think for him, yeah, it's just all going to be about offensive scoring ability and progressing on that. And I know he's not a huge physical player uh, from his time in Detroit, but I'm pretty sure the Capitals, just the way that they play and the style um, that Peter Laviolette likes, they probably want more from him in that regard. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, I could definitely, I definitely see where you're coming from with that because he is a guy who hits, but you know, there, I, I could see him being coached, having that coached up for sure in that system. Yeah. I think it's very interesting just seeing also the way, like, I mean, Ovechkin, obviously like, you know, it's one of those big guys like can really obviously contribute offensively, but he does have his moments, you know, when he is really physical. And I think maybe if they had someone else like that, like I could very well see that being kind of a spot that they need him to fill or maybe a want to fill. And so uh, you mentioned TJ Oshie. Um, I think I didn't notice TJ Oshie playing center so often <laughs> as I did last year. Yeah. Is that something where he sort of, you think he was impacted by Kuznetsov's struggles staying in the lineup? Or do you think that Laviolette likes him down the middle? Where, where do you think he fits in ideally next year? Yeah, TJ Oshie was definitely um, like a last resort center option. Right. I would say for the Capitals, I think every single time uh, Laviolette had to put him in there, he was saying, you know, like he's just doing his best at this point. Like, this is what we have to do. This is our best option. But, uh, you know, TJ did play center a little bit. Um, he knew how to kind of do it before, you know, he was thrown into these situations and he was fine. But obviously, he's a natural winger. He performs way better um, on the wing. So I think for TJ, he's going to go right back to playing wing. And that was definitely more of a keep that stuff not in the lineup. It was a, you know, it was a backstrom playing a little bit hurt late. It was Lars Eller uncharacteristically being hurt a lot last season. He's never missed that many games. And all of a sudden you have him out for multiple different injuries. And the Capitals really have no options internally at center. They tried a couple of their guys from the AHL, just didn't really pan out. Um, they just really wanted a guy like, a TJ Oshie probably, I mean, a couple of times they went with 11 forwards because they felt that strongly that TJ was a better option than um, someone else in the organization. And Eller is an interesting name. I mean, not somebody who we spend a ton of time talking about in the fantasy realm, but he's had his moments the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess, do you see him as, do you, do you know why, do you have any insight into what has helped him elevate his offensive output the past two years? It's interesting because I think I think a couple years ago, I was talking to Lars and he said he was changing his skating um, habits in the off season and the way he was skating and the way he was moving. He was trying to get quicker and using different muscles to kind of do that. And you immediately saw, I think he had an uptick. It, it was a couple seasons ago in his offensive production and just the way that he was moving and the spots that he was taking. So I think for him, he's, he's honestly very a, a student of the game. He's very, very smart and analytical and he really studies everything. He loves you know, kind of breaking things down, watches a lot of videos. So I think for him, it's more, I think the difference between a Lars Eller and a TJ Oshie, for example, TJ is very instinctual. TJ doesn't really do a lot of X's and O's and let's sit down and break everything down. It's kind of just like, I see the pack, I'm going to go, I'm going to dive for it. I'm going to get it. Lars is more, all right, I'm going to break everything down. I'm going to look at the video. I'm going to see what I did wrong and what I can do better. Um, so I think those are kind of the, just the fundamental differences, but with Lars, I think he's used that to his advantage and, you know, kept up his health and training in the off season. He's 32 again, one of those older guys, but it's still just one of those consistent third line utility centers. And so uh, what we've seen a lot of teams do over the years is try and have two kind of uh, staple players on a line and then maybe a, a player who can play up and down the lineup on the on the wing um the capitals kind of have those those six forwards the a very obvious if you wanted to stack the top six you know exactly who's going to be there but do you see them trying to put uh one of their wingers like a mantha or a wilson or an oshi with eller again next year to try and keep up the offense on the third line yeah, it's interesting because they, they've usually only done that, you know, in injury situations when someone in the top six is out and they need to kind of reshuffle. But, you know, Laviolette did a couple of times leave TJ Oshie on the third line when TJ was coming back from it. Again, he was coming back from an injury, so he probably didn't want to play him a lot of minutes. But he does work very well with a guy like Lars Eller. They've played together for a very long time. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely could see, you know, a Daniel Sprong. Honestly, he's 24, like we talked about, young guy, played really well. Laviolette feels like 
he's one of those players that probably only produces his best in a top six role, honestly. Um, you know, with the players that he's with, he's not really a defensive 200-foot guy, which is more of what a third and fourth line really is on the Capitals right now. So, yeah, I could see Daniel Strong maybe playing on a second line and, you know, shifting a guy like Mantha down or Oshie down to play with Lars. And maybe you have a little bit more balance there, um, both offensively and defensively. But then again, it, I think it's all going to be about how these guys did in the offseason and, you know, after a weird COVID season, just um, how they all kind of bounce back. Yeah, and I, I we'll talk about COVID in a second. I guess I do want to ask you just to follow up on, on Sprong because he's a guy who I, I don't think has – a, a huge profile right now in fantasy circles. I don't think many folks are are circling him on their sleeper list, but it sounds like you have a little bit of hope for him uh, offensively. Do you see him as a guy who could be a 50 plus point player or is there, is there more upside there? I think with Sprong, it's really hard because when he's in, he filled in for Ovechkin when he was out for those six, seven games. And he played really well um, on the top line. It felt like he got a lot of opportunities, scored a lot of goals, had, you know, could score from where Ovi scores on the circle, but also, you know, is just a really good offensive threat has a really, really heavy shot, kind of like a John Carlson. Um, but with Sprong, it, it's all about minutes and where the Capitals are going to put him, And if there's even a spot for him um, right now in the lineup, because he wasn't a regular last season, he played that many games that he did because of all the injuries. He was there first call up in any situation. That's why, oh, she was, you know, shifting over to center and all that. So I think if he can get consistent minutes in a top six role, which is asking, I think a lot at this point, then he has a lot of upside, but you know, if he, when he's in, he can produce. So it's kind of a, it's a risk versus reward thing. And you're kind of banking on maybe injuries or lack of production or some of these older guys slowing down a little bit and Laviolette maybe wanting to enter some young blood into it. Yeah. And I mean, he did, I definitely wasn't on Daniel Sprung before, but looking at his game log now, six goals yeah. in eight, his last eight games of the season, a bunch of like seven shots in one of those games. He definitely mm. turned it on towards the end of the year. No, definitely. And I think he didn't play in a couple of those postseason games and he was put in late because they realized the lineup just wasn't working. They thought they needed more defense against a really heavy physical Boston team in the first round and they just couldn't get any offense. So they had to put Sprong in. But Again, at this point, you know, I guess in his career, he still isn't a 200 foot player. And so that's probably something he is working on in the offseason. And maybe that's when he'll get a full time role. So he's just one of those offensive spark guys and is probably a good pickup, honestly, for a fantasy team. But again, not not a full time one quite yet. Right. <laughs> probably a watch list player. Yeah, for, uh, definitely. For... Yeah, I'd say a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we we mentioned very coyly, we, we teased this at the beginning, a player who had behavioral issues might be a bit of a trade target. I'm sure everybody who's listening has been dying to find out who we're talking about. Evgeny Kuznetsov, who I have lovingly called the bird gang for, for years because of his signature Selly. Uh, um, yeah. At one point, looking like a legitimate point-per-game superstar, uh, ridiculous run to the cup like but you know obviously Obi was always going to be the con Smythe winner if the Caps ever won but he made a legitimate case for himself he's really slowed down the past few years and now there are the rumors that he's on the trade block do you think there's a legitimate chance he's moved and what do you think the Caps would be looking for in a trade yeah I think with Kuznetsov he's such it's he's such an inconsistent player first off I think everyone can see that since his cup run in 2018 he's been very up and down when he's great he's great you can see him on the ice it's like flashes of brilliance you think it's old Kuznetsov is back and then the next game he just completely disappears and you don't see him you don't recognize him turnovers it, it just isn't working so I think where management is at at the end of the season was we recognize that he's inconsistent and that was due to a lot of different reasons. They said, you know, he got COVID twice. He missed a lot of time. Um, the first time he was actually physically sick from COVID, had a lot of symptoms, couldn't breathe very well, couldn't walk. So a lot of things, you know, contributed to last season. But just based off of that and his past performances, they definitely were looking around, you know, very early on. Um, I think that rumor is completely true. I think the Capitals are very, always been very open and honest about what they're looking for. And Brian McClellan is open to really anything as we saw with the Jacob Verona trade and with the Richard Ponick and Anthony Mantha on that blockbuster deal. I mean, once they have a deal that they like, they're going to go for it. So I think at this point with Kuznetsov not traded, it 
seems like at least to me and what's been expressed is that they probably don't like what's coming back and the value that they thought that they maybe probably could get. Also, when you look internally, they don't have an option to replace Kuznetsov. So any player they get back, they have to think, okay, is this player equal to or better than Kuznetsov? I, and I'm not sure if there's anyone on the market currently for what the Capitals want um, that kind of fit that role, unless they are looking to rebuild or retool. And then that's a whole different conversation. Um, so definitely, yes, on the market. Um, I just think as of right now, Brian McClellan has said, look, we never said we're going to for sure trade him. We said we were open to that discussion, which to me sounds like they've tried and probably just don't like the return at this point. I think that's a, a great point is that, you know, if, if you trade Evgeny Kuznetsov, are you going to win a Stanley Cup with Lars Eller or TJ mm-hmm. Oshie as your number two center? Mm-hmm. And uh, the answer is almost definitely no, I guess. <laughs> so that's, that's a tough one. Um, and I guess the other thing is just, there's a reason why we don't see many trades like the Mantha Verona trade. It's probably because GMs just are not thinking in those terms. It's probably very tough to find a package like that where both teams are, are, are but where both teams win, I guess. Right. Yeah. That trade was pretty crazy when you think about it because the Capitals pretty much got everything they wanted. They got a contract they did not feel strongly about with Richard Ponick completely off and out. Um, Jacob Verona was not really meshing with, the coaching staff for quite some time. It was very clear he was benched for multiple games, you know, scratched, wasn't playing, just very unhappy. And, you know, they needed a guy to basically replace that and be consistent in the lineup. And they got an Anthony Mantha. And, you know, Detroit needed kind of that flashy winger like a Verona, kind of, you know, one of those young superstars. And they got that and they got Richard Ponick as part of the deal. Um, So I think overall, yeah, that was probably one of the craziest trades just in terms of probably the value there. Um, and yeah, it probably really did work out for both sides. Yeah. And I think, uh, having watched the Red Wings very frustrating, frustratedly hoping for, uh, upside in fantasy for Larkin and Mantha over the mm-hmm. years, it, it was so frustrating watching those two not be able to, to find anything. But I think that Jakob Verana has a lot of the, the skills that should mesh with Larkin. Do you, mm-hmm. having been up close with him for many years, do you think that, do you think that he has a, uh, is this the opportunity where he could really pop off in Detroit? I definitely think so. I think Verona has been sort of that, I don't know if you could say like hidden gem in Washington, because I'm not sure really how he's perceived outside of Washington, but just seeing him, you know, kind of grow up for the last few years and, you know, kind of finding his voice and finding his talents. He's always been that really speedy winger who can see the ice really well. It's just, again, maybe his 200 foot game isn't completely there, Um, but he's really good offensively um, and really just meshes in in the top six. So I do feel like him and Larkin have very similar similar and complementary characteristics and you know everyone that I've talked to has been like yeah he'll probably thrive in Detroit and who knows where he'll go after that but the extension that he just signed I think uh, I think was 5.25 is pretty much right on and I'm not sure if the Capitals would have wanted um, to pay that. No, and, and I think you're right. He was, I think, looked at as an offensive gem or as a hidden gem, rather, because of his underlying numbers and the the points per 60. Like those uh, those advanced stats really showed a player who wasn't getting minutes relative mm-hmm. to their offensive portfolio and production. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to see how that shakes out. We were talking about Kuznetsov a second ago, and I guess I want to chat next about uh a player who kind of seems like his partner in crime uh, in Nets, Ilya Samsonov, also hit the COVID list around the same time as Kuznetsov. They were um, they both got in hot water for watching uh, watching the UFC and playing video games together with uh, with Ovechkin uh, early in the season. Um, and then the playoffs came, and all of a sudden, Vitek Vanacek was the starter in Nets. Do you think Samsonov is still the de facto starter heading into Nets? He must be, right? Like he's he's been. It's it's just been so long that everyone's been waiting for him. But I guess it just I'm surprised by how how much trouble there's been uh, since he arrived in America. Yeah, with Samsonov, I I do think he's the de facto starter. Just first off, headed into next season, I think everything that the Capitals have kind of put into him so far, they feel like, you know, he probably deserves another shot at being number one, but you're absolutely right that he's had a lot of trouble um, since, you know, coming to North America. And um, I think just initially off the bat, uh, the one-year contract that he just signed for $2 million, I think says a lot. That's a very 
prove it contract, I think for both sides, I think Samsonov probably wants to see on, on their side, at least, you know, they get a little bit more money for $2 million one year. If he performs well, it probably bodes well for him and maybe he can go somewhere else or on the Washington side, obviously there's maybe a little bit of inconsistency and distrust there on performance. So one year makes sense, but it, I think it was very short. I think people thought it would be more of a two to three year bridge deal. So I think this is going to be very interesting headed into this next season of the pressures there and how he's going to perform. And, you know, you have Vitek Manacek behind him who performed pretty admirably, I would say, last season for the Capitals and did not think that he would be thrust into that starting situation after everything um, they all went through. So, yeah, I think Sam Snob is going to be number one headed into the season, barring a Hendrik Lundqvist or a someone else kind of getting back on the scene. But I, I think for Sam Snob, it it all depends on his mentality and if he can keep things in check off ice and if he can really get everything together there and on ice, the organization feels like he has all the talents to be a number one. He just, it's not going to be handed to him. And I think that's the really big message they want to send to him is this isn't going to be handed to you. You have to work at it. You have to get better. You have to use your size and your skill um, and actually perform because he he has all the characteristics. It's just he hasn't been able to consistently kind of like Kuznetsov, I guess, in the last couple of years, put it together. You're definitely right. That is absolutely the definition of a prove-it contract, because mm-hmm. coming off of what was, I guess, I, I think most folks would say statistically a very disappointing season. I, w- I was surprised to see he w- his record was 13-4-1 last year, so it's not like the, the Capitals were incapable of winning with him playing, but the 902 save percentage was definitely a step down. Um, but you also reported last year about his uh, his really harrowing uh, story uh, when he was recovering from COVID. Um, I think he kind of became the poster child for the risks of playing during the pandemic. Obviously, the the number one thing is his health long term, and you know that he's able to continue to recover and and feels like he's a hundred percent. How much do you think his health played into those struggles last year? I think by the time that he got fully healthy, I mean he was out for. I think it was about six weeks from start to finish of when he did test positive for COVID and, you know, developing symptoms. I think in the beginning, he actually didn't have a lot of symptoms. People that I talked to felt like he was actually okay. And they kind of worsened and you're right. He couldn't breathe very well. He really couldn't walk. Um, It was really serious for quite some time and trying to get, when you think about it back on the ice and in hockey shape, when you can't do absolutely anything, you're in quarantine, um, I think it's very hard, but especially for a goalie. So I think for Samsonov, they really wanted to make sure he took his time. They sent him to Hershey to play a few games on like, you know, the, you know, Kuznetsov just took more time. He didn't go down. Um, but with Samsonov, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it affected him completely when he came back. I think maybe those games in Hershey it did initially, but I think you could tell that he was almost 100%. He'd had some, maybe a little bit trouble breathing. He said maybe the first couple games he was back, but quickly got back into it. And yeah, from what I know right now, he's still back to 100%, still working in the off season, but he did have, I think, a small injury towards the end there as well. So it really seemed like that entire Capitals group was banged up at least a little bit, but for him, I don't think any lingering COVID effects. That's good to hear. I mean, it's, Last year was so interesting because we had Samsonov and we had Shesterkin and we had Sorokin all coming over. These three Russian goalies we'd been so excited to see. And uh, Shesterkin and Sorokin both were able to perform uh, very well. I, I guess it was it was surprising to see Samsonov not really live up to the hype. And but it also it's it's a COVID year, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to look at last year and be like, all right, we for sure know that this is the the true talent level of these players. And I would assume that that's, that's very true throughout the the lineup in Washington for you. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, like the Kuznetsov thing, again, we have obviously seen his potential and what he can do, but was that really just a more inconsistent season or was that a combination of COVID and off ice stuff? Samsonov the same as well. Uh, but I think for Sam Snub, yeah, again, I, I really do think it's more of a mentally off ice. Can I put everything together? Because on ice, they just feel very confident that he has all the tools. And 
you know, he, he's still pretty young. So can he actually grow and kind of be that rock And the Capitals had Brayden Holpe for so long and they had that veteran presence and that they really didn't have to worry about it. And now it feels like this is really the biggest question mark um, when you go up and down the lineup. And so bringing Vanacek back, do you think that's basically just the safety policy? I, I think so. I think, you know, when they left Vanacek exposed, I mean, they were choosing between Samsonov and Vanacek and it was very clear you have to protect Samsonov in that situation and they really couldn't do anything else. Um, but getting Vanacek back, I mean, they were looking for, <laughs> I think the easiest way to put it is the Capitals were looking for a number two goalie to replace Vanacek and the best option was Vanacek. Of he, course. <laughs> Like there was no one else on the market at the price for him and the value that he has. And again, capitals are so strapped salary cap wise. I mean, that's why they sent Brendan Dillon to Winnipeg and got two picks. They needed to clear cap space for Ovechkin and to re-sign Samsonov and, you know, make these little moves. So I think in regards to Vanacek, they really like him as a player. They thought he did well. Um but not a surefire number one by any means, but definitely if anything does happen to Samsonov again this year, it's, it's clear to the organization that they know that they trust someone uh, there behind him. And it is interesting, I guess, to think about the role that expectations play in the perception of these players. Cause I mean, looking at Vanacek's numbers, he finishes the year with a nine Oh eight, but I agree with you. Like I didn't expect anything from him heading into the year. You know, I, I expected obviously at first Henrik Lundqvist to be the guy. And then it looked like maybe Craig Anderson would, would get some run after he got signed. And, and so you know, it's definitely something where you're you're impressed by what he's able to do being thrust into the situation he was thrust into. And but it's still interesting to kind of see that the at the end of the year, there's really just a point uh, 006 difference between him and uh, and Sam Sonoff in a from a numbers perspective, save percentage wise. Yeah, I think it's definitely different or interesting because they are very different, I think, um, in their styles and the way that they play the game. And I think. When you see Samsonov, he's out of his crease so much. And it, it's almost like a very risky way that he plays, but he is so big bodied and kind of limber and has kind of that wingspan to kind of solve those problems. And with VTech, he is, you know, smaller, kind of stays and more steady. He feels when you look at him, he seems more calm, cool, collected, like he's been there before, um, even though he is, you know, younger, not younger. He's actually a little bit older, but at least from a veteran experience, right. less experience. Than Ilya. So I think they're just two very separate, different players, but both kind of have almost similar results, which is very, very interesting. But I do think moving forward, Samsung does have more upside. This is a question that kind of just occurred to me now. So I, maybe it's kind of a weird one. You might not have an answer, but it, it seems kind of rare for an NHL team to have two younger or rookie goaltenders. I, I don't really recall that happening. I can think of Columbus off the top of my head as a, a team that sort of brought in a couple guys who are younger, but it, it feels like very unusual for an NHL team to trust two rookies to, to run the crease. Yeah, I think I think that was also kind of the storyline headed into last season as well before Henrik Lundqvist, right? It was the organization from what I was told was confident, you know, having these two young guys fairly unproven, but they liked their upside. They felt like, you know, the veteran experience they had in, you know, Ovechkin and Backstrom and Carlson and, and all those other facets of the team would kind of help outweigh whatever they had in net, just because, again, salary cap, Braden Holpe leaving, but on the flip side, that's also why they tried to get Henrik Lundqvist and why they did sign Craig Anderson. So it does feel like the Capitals would have loved to have a veteran presence in that room, regardless. You know, they can say all they want that they're okay running with two young goalies, but I think at the end of the day, they still would probably like kind of that veteran guy to help them out, um, like Braden was to Ilya for kind of that one season. So it, it is very risky, but I do think when you look at the team overall, they feel like they have a lot of those veteran guys to kind of help guide them, maybe not at their position, but overall. And so um, this is a, a bit of a, a meander here, but I am a diehard Henrik Lundqvist fan. He's been my guy for years and years. Uh, I just, I have to ask because, because you, you're, you're an insider, any inside info on whether or not Lundqvist would be back with the Capitals? Yeah, you know, at, at this point, he's not cleared medically yet to play. I know he did post on Twitter, I think it was maybe yesterday, mm-hmm. um, that he was, you know, kind of trying this out again, kind of lacing up the skates and uh, let's see if he can give it another go. But at this point, he's he's not medically cleared. I think 
the plan was that they're hoping to know more around the end of this month and just to kind of see ahead of training camps if he can go. I know the Capitals from their perspective was they just have to wait and see. And, you know, if he's ready to go and is, you know, medically cleared, I think, I think honestly, like all teams, they probably would have to at least look at him and see if that's an option and what he wants to sign for. I think it's also a similar situation with like as in Deo Chara, right? Um, what if he does want to come back, what is the number and at what cost and can he contribute and how much? Um, again, very separate, different players <laughs> in separate situations, but I think similar in the sense of at least from the Capitals perspective of what they can they give the team at what price um, and are they really ready to come back? And so the other headliner in Washington that you've mentioned him a few times, I haven't really asked you about him, but I, I feel like I can't not mention John Carlson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, given his production over the years, the lack of an obvious replacement on the power play, mm-hmm. it, I just, I can't really imagine a scenario where he isn't quarterbacking the Caps power play. Um, he still deserves a little shine here though. And so as someone who's close with the team, what do you think he did that allowed him to take that step up and become a Norris finalist level player? I guess 2020 was the year he was nominated. Yeah, definitely headed into that season. You know, he, it sounds very cliche. He was given the A, um, you know, when Bricks or Brick left. And for him, I think it felt like it was kind of that validation, right? Of I've been here, I've been doing my job for all these years. I signed with you know, the team when I was drafted with them and I've just been progressively, you know, doing my best to kind of lead this group and kind of follow the other guys like Aniskanen and um, everyone else. And so I feel like for John, he is always going to be that staple on the power play with Ovechkin. And I think a lot of people look at his points as that has to be a lot of assists from the power play. And he's just kind of standing there and giving it to Alex and, you know, here goes nothing. Um, That's very quick and easy, but I think for him, he's very offensive minded too. He knows when to join in on the rush. He's very smart. Um, He does get a lot of minutes each night because he does play on the top pair and he has been kind of thrust into those situations where he's had a lot of different D partners just because of random injuries that the Capitals have had, you know, in the postseason or regular season, but Carlson's been pretty much very consistent. Like a lot of these guys where injuries really haven't gotten to him. He hasn't been out for a long period of time and feels like he can play through a lot. So I think for him, it really was a mindset thing and that he's been doing this for so long. And it just seemed like that one year that he was a Norris candidate, he was always around the puck. He was always moving. It was very offensive minded, you know, Todd Reardon trusted him a lot. He's worked with him for multiple years and really felt like John could be put in any situation, you know, at the end of the game when it really mattered. So it seemed like he was always out there and it really worked. And, you know, I don't know if people ever thought that he would replicate that season, honestly, and have that consistency um, and that kind of record pace. But definitely that year, I think it was all it was all timing and um, just the situations he was being put in. Yeah, and I think, you know, to the the point of consistency that that you brought up with Vanacek, um, you're right. Carlson doesn't pop off the ice like, I guess, like a like an Eric Carlson uh, to compare him to a similar uh, similar production player from recent times. But um, when you watch him on that power play, he fits like a glove and the the unit itself it's not like if you just put the if you put the five best hockey players in the world on a power play, they'll they'll probably be the best power play possible. <laughs> but there is right. a lot to be said for chemistry, and that that Caps group with Carlson, uh, he he knows exactly what his role is, and he's able to fill it pretty perfectly. Right, exactly, and you know it, this is easier said than done of making a perfect pass to Alex Ovechkin, but he really does want a perfect pass um, on that power play, and Carlson and Backstrom both have you know, worked with them for so many years, they know exactly where to put it and it meshes. And, you know, even I think at some points last year, the power play looked pretty horrible, um, but they still finished, you know, at least, I, I think it was at least definitely in the top half um, of the power play and maybe even a quarter of the power play. So I think overall for them, um, they've just been doing it for so long. It's just kind of, it's like riding a bike. <laughs> Yeah. And so obviously you have Ovi, Backstrom, Carlson, and Oshie heading into next year. Uh, Verona and Kuznetsov kind of traded off in that spot in previous seasons. Do you think Mantha fits in there or do you think it's, it's sort of the same? We'll see Kuznetsov and Mantha trade off. 
I definitely think it's going to be a, they'll probably try out Kuznetsov because you have to try out Kuznetsov again. And if he doesn't produce, they were not scared at all to move him down to the second unit and have Mantha go back up in there. Um, Tom Wilson's probably another guy, Lars Eller. They're all in the second unit, but we've seen them on the first play power unit when the power play just hasn't been working, but it has been very consistent for a really long time. You know, with Jacob Verona, he, I don't think he got really any, first unit uh, power play minutes just because of all those other guys. So um, they've been pretty consistent for a long time, but I think if one player is kind of slipping, Mantha's probably the first call up. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's a, he's a player who he deserves those opportunities as well. I, I would be curious to see Tom Wilson get there. And I think that that is from a fantasy perspective and offensively, that is kind of the, what he would need, I think, to unlock that, that 70 point, possibility if, if he has that that next gear in him offensively yeah I definitely think so I think that was kind of a similar notion a lot of people in Washington had about a Jacob Verona it was you know he does produce so well um, for the minutes that he's given but if he were to be getting first you know unit power play minutes then he probably would be an even better player but where do you put him and you know maybe he's a good threat you know alongside Ovechkin at the other circle but you know, all of that. So yeah, I definitely think Tom is probably in that similar situation. And so I guess I, I've exhausted the roster players that, that I wanted to ask you about. I do want to take a quick minute to to throw a little shine on the prospects. Connor McMichael is obviously the guy that that most folks are are talking about already, maybe the most ready. Do you think that there's space for him in the lineup next year? I think it's, I feel like it's really hard at this point, um, just because when we did talk about you know, Kuznetsov, if he were to leave, what would be the replacement and the initial internal replacement you would think of as Connor McMichael? Um, but can you win with a Backstrom, Eller, Connor McMichael, McDowd uh, down your center line? I, I personally do not think so. Maybe I'll be proved wrong if something happens and that mm. is the case um, a year from now. But I, I think with Connor, they did try him out last year, just, you know, kind of threw him in there. People felt like he was ready. And they really only gave him one shot. Um, he was fine. He played okay. He wasn't a flashy, oh my gosh, this kid is going to take over and they need to put him in uh, type of player. I think maybe that was more of a Daniel Sprong when he did get in, honestly, and they felt like, okay, like he does produce at a consistent pace and all of that. So I'm not sure if Connor has a full-time role by any means. I think that 13 forward spot is still a Daniel Sprong, Connor Sherry situation. But if multiple injuries happen, they need a call up and a prospect. Connor's still there. I think the organization still really likes him. Obviously, he's a has a really, really bright future. I just think this year is probably not the year, barring any major trades. And are there any rookies who you could see making the jump in 2022? You know, just in terms of rookies, I mean, Martin Faravari was probably the closest, honestly, to that on the defensive side. The Capitals have said multiple times that they really feel like Faravari deserves a full-time role this season. They really like him as a player, but the issue is, you know, where does he fit in uh, with these D pairs? They have a lot, a lot uh, to kind of work out with the Michael Kempney not playing last year. And is he fully healthy and ready to play? And I think with Faravari, they really like him. They re-signed TVR and they protected him in the expansion draft. So does TVR play ahead of Faravari? Um, a lot of different questions, but he's probably the closest to be ready um, and in a full-time role next season. Amazing. Samantha, you've answered every single one of my questions incredibly. Uh, anything else? I can't think of anything else, but is there anything else about the Washington Capitals in 2022 that you think is interesting? Oh, that's a great question. I think for me, I mean, there's so many different storylines, but I think the blue line just like technically looking all at it, I think it's very interesting. I think I have no clue how they're going to line up and who's actually ready to play. Uh, could Chara even come, la- come back? Does he want to come back? Would he come back with Washington? Um, can Justin Schultz stay healthy? They lost Brendan Dillon. So where's your physicality going to come from in that sense? Is Nick Jensen going to be good without Chara? Um, so I think for me, that's probably one of the most, I guess, just localized interesting positions, but Overall, I mean, it, again, it's a very similar team to last year, and I think they could have very similar results. It's, it's just all going to be about, okay, it's not a COVID season anymore, and can people actually get consistent? 
Uh, I just Googled Dmitry Orlov kind of on a lark here, and I saw a headline that Dmitry Orlov's cat is very sick. Do you know anything about this? Are you, are you, are you up I, on the Dmitry Orlov cat drama? I was a little bit on the Dmitry Orlov cat drama. I was reading Instagram posts about it. Um, I do not speak Russian or Russian, so it's very hard for me to actually keep up on that. Um, but yeah, I did see that his cat was very sick. I do know the cat's name is Joy and that he mm-hmm. was, it was very happy that his cat and his family were able to come um, to D.C. last season, you know, with all the COVID stuff and they finally were able to get over. So I'm not sure about the cat. I did see a picture of his cat uh, today. So hopefully that's a good sign. But no, I do not have any insider insider info on that. Uh, well, the, that's the real test of an insider. So maybe next year yeah. you can come back and, and bring us some cat uh, cat insider uh, information. But hopefully, if you have a cat uh, and you're listening to this, um, look out for Joy. It looks like Joy may need some blood urgently. Um, yeah. I hope that this is uh, taken care of, though, because I don't want I don't want any of these players going into next season having to think about their sick animals. Uh, Samantha, where can folks find your work? Where can, uh, anything to plug, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, all my stuff is mostly on my Twitter at Samantha J. Pell and obviously the Washington Um, but yeah, no, I think everything will be pretty normal. Um, knock on wood, uh, for the next month or so before training camp and everything, but yeah, no, this was awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely reach out next year and maybe we can uh, make it another year on our, uh, our beat writer series. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Great job, Ben. And thanks once again to Samantha Pell for coming on our humble show to share all of her expertise about the Washington Capitals. Make sure to keep up with all of Samantha's reporting on the Capitals by following her on Twitter at Samantha J. Pell. And you can also read all of her work at the Washington Post. Okay, also, thank you so much to you, the listener, for tuning in to this latest installment of our Beat Writer series. We hope you've been enjoying it. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. As I always say, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with any feedback you have. And also, we're still going to have the Beat Writer interviews coming. And we're also going to have a lot of other content coming as we approach the regular season. Brian and I are putting together a schedule of all of the big episodes we'll put out to make sure we have you set and ready to go for your NHL drafts. But yeah, if there's something you specifically want to hear, uh, let us know. Again, at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. Also, I humbly invite you, if you're ready to really take the next step in your fantasy hockey expertise, consider becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson and joining our community of experts. You'll get access to our Discord server, where people give advice all the time and discuss what's going on in fantasy. You're going to get access to our monthly patron cast. We're going to be doing one next Wednesday, where we're going to take questions from the patrons and answer everything in this uh, special show just for our supporters. And of course, by being a patron of Keeping Carlson, you have access to join our Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, the number one fantasy hockey league in the whole world. The cupful. Okay, you want to join and try it out. Trust me, it's a lot of fun. So uh, you can get information about all of our perks of becoming a patron over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But okay, with that, let's cue the outro music. I'm going to go ahead and read you the credits and we're going to get out of here. So the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast is presented by Dabar Hockey and supported by our patrons. Outro music is by the great Pat Roach. Logo art by brandonweeb.com. Once again, kudos to Ben Burnett for hosting this interview. Uh, You can follow Ben on Twitter at BenBurnett underscore SJ. And of course, Ben is one half of our Short Shifts team along with Lewis Ezekiel. And you can follow Short Shifts on Twitter at ShortShiftsKK. Of course, like I said, you can follow Samantha Pell on Twitter at Samantha J. Pell. But okay, I think that's all the credits I've got for you. So I'll leave you with just one request, which is to remember and try to make it so that fantasy hockey is for everyone.